Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. This is the fundraising for short-term and long-term missionaries. A friend of mine said if you don't start on time, then when the late people get there, they won't know they're late if you're not already going. So we're going to start on, on time. And I'd like to just begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning. Uh, we ask that you would bless our time, give us your wisdom and understanding. In Christ's name, amen. Let me just say that uh, you're going to hear me talk a lot about ministry partnership development. Uh, I differentiate between fundraising and ministry partnership development. Fundraising says, give me your, min- your money so I can go do my ministry. And ministry partnership development says, let's join together in a partnership to accomplish a ministry. So you'll hear me talk about ministry partnership development. First of all, by way of introduction, my name is Andy Reed, and I'm with Evangelical Development Ministry. And I've been raising support since 1972. I know I don't look that old, but trust me, I am. Uh, and so I want to begin. We're, we're going to go through these pretty quick and then have a, a sufficient time for questions and answers after that. Uh, but feel free to ask a question uh, if you have one. I want to begin by talking about three kinds of thinking. Great Commission thinking, faith thinking, and principle thinking. And uh, for those of you that just come in, there is a pad of paper over here. If you want to take off one of your stickers or write your name and and email address, I'll be happy to email this presentation to you uh, later this, this week. The first is Great Commission thinking. And that is ministry partnership development is a ministry. It's not something we do to have a ministry. In other words, God has called us to reach a target audience, but he's also called us to minister to those who partner with us in ministry partnership development. So we need to look at it as a ministry and not a necessary evil. Secondly, ministry partnership development is that process of getting people involved in the Great Commission through their prayers, through their involvement, through their financial support. We're helping them have a part in helping to fulfill the Great Commission. Secondly, uh, is faith thinking. And that is, we have to believe God. We have to believe that God is going to provide for us because that's what his word says. You know, Apostle Paul wrote, Faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. And he'll supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we need to work as unto the Lord. Uh, Ministry partnership development is work. It's not something you do once and say, okay, I've now got all my support raised and I don't have to do anything else. It is a process that has to be made part of your lifestyle, again, because it is ministry, just as you would allocate time to reach your target audience, You need to allocate time to minister to those who are partnering uh, with you. Thirdly is principle thinking. Uh, And then we break that down into two areas, principles and techniques. Techniques are the ways that we tend to live our lives, but they're not really founded or grounded in, in the scriptures, where principles is the basis for our success. And so we're going to be talking about principles uh, this morning. This is a little bit like trying to eat an elephant in one bite. Uh, you know, when they said, you know, can you do this in uh, two sessions, I said yes. 
And then it got cut to one session, and then recently I was told, well, only spend half the session in presentation and leave the rest for, for questions. So I apologize if I go a little fast here. The first key or principle is that people need to give. There's a, there's a, a greater need for them to give than there is for our asking. The background we find is that we're created in God's image, and God is a giving God, isn't he? And so if God is living his life in and through us, then we're going to be giving people. And for the, for the, for the most part, we're going to be reaching other Christians, other believers, with our opportunities for ministry. So I want to talk to you about ten reasons why people need to give. Most of these are scriptural reasons. There are a few that, that, aren't, that I'll, I'll point out. But the first is to be a partner in something worthwhile. As believers, we're all called to the Great Commission. And so people want to be a partner with someone or with some group that is accomplishing something worthwhile. Secondly, is to participate vicariously. Not everyone can go, but everyone can give, everyone can pray, and so people participate vicariously. I had a young woman write to my wife and I one time, and she said, you know, I can't do what you do. I can't go where you go. I've got responsibilities to my family. I went to school on a particular program that said I had to give so many years of... uh, of service back after I graduated. But I know with my money and support, that will allow you to go and we can have a ministry together. So it's to participate vicariously. Third is to accomplish a specific purpose. Most givers have a specific reason why they give. Whether it's evangelism, whether it's discipleship, whether it's you know uh, medical assistance, whatever it is, they have a specific reason or specific purpose why they give. And the greater that you have a match between what you're doing and what their uh, needs are, the quicker the uh, commitment or the gift will will come. Fourth is to achieve or maintain a self-worth. Now, this is not necessarily a biblical reason. But they give because they want to see themselves as generous givers. They want to see themselves as someone who can help someone else. And that affects how they view themselves. Five, because they love Christ. It's something they do as a way to express thanks back to the Lord. Uh, We had a man one time who, who said to us, you know, he said, I give to your ministry not because you have a need, but rather because it's my way of saying thank you to Christ for all that he has done in my life and in my family. Six, to meet a specific need. If you have needs and opportunities, you need to communicate and share those with people. Because, yes, they can pray and God can impress upon their heart, but most likely, if you look at the scriptures, needs were met when they were voiced and and shared. Seven, they give because they receive a blessing. Now, hopefully, you don't fall into this category, but there are some people that will give no matter how badly you treat them because they're receiving a blessing from their giving. 
8, they give for financial security reasons. Some, because they want to honor God with their gifts, and they believe that as they honor God, God will continue to give to them. Others give out of fear that if they fear if they stop giving, God will stop giving to them or take away what they have. Again, that latter one is is obviously unscriptural. Nine is the need to give, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. And ten, because they were asked. Uh, Survey after survey that's taken, when people are asked, why did you make this gift? Why did you give to this opportunity? The number one answer is because someone asked me. So we need, need to ask. And that leads us into the second key, giving requires asking. The more specific you are, the more believable you are. If you ask generally, people will say, "Eh, maybe they have a need, I don't know. But if you're specific and say, there is a need or an opportunity for this to occur, and it's going to cost this much money, the more specific you are, the more believable you are. And that even gets down to asking for an amount. If you ask for $25 or $50 uh, for a need that actually costs $24.75 or $49.48, the latter is more specific and therefore more believable than just throwing out a round number. Yes? You can't see your screen. I'm sorry. That's all right. Is that better? Okay, secondly, there's a need to ask often. Now, let me just say that this is only valid if you're doing some of the other things that we're going to talk about this morning. If all you're doing is asking and you're never communicating back to the people that you're ministering to, they're going to get tired of you asking. But if you ask and then you share what was accomplished as a result of the gift that they gave, they'll want to give again. Now, many of you have what I call deferred gifts. And I'm not talking about those gifts that people do at the end of their lifetime, sometimes known as deferred gifts or planned giving. I'm talking about the fact that you have ministered to people and had an impact in their life. You've never asked them to do anything, and so you have goodwill built up or you have deferred gifts built up. And when you ask, they will want to give. Secondly is the frequency of the ask. I alluded to this just a minute ago. You can ask often as long as there is feedback with regards to the results of the gifts that have, have been given. In other words, uh, if I were to go uh, see Mark once a year, and I would call him up and say, Mark, uh, I'm coming to town. How about having lunch? He says, okay. We go out and have lunch. I tell him about this great ministry opportunity, being the generous giver that he is. He says, sure, I'll, I'll give, and he, he makes a gift. Doesn't hear from me for a whole year. I call him back and say, Mark, I'm coming to town. Can we have lunch? He says, okay. Again, I ask him for, for a gift. He says, okay. Well, after the third or fourth time, you know, this begins to get old. And what's Mark's conclusion? The only time he wants money, the only time he wants to see me is when he wants money. But if I go once a year and see Mark and then communicate with him 10 or 12 times during the year, then when I go back and ask for a gift, 
the emphasis is not on the money. Now, the frequency of the gift is exactly, or the ask is exactly the same. The difference is the communication that occurred in between those, those gifts. And you have to ask for many causes and many opportunities that you have. Most people don't give just based solely on needs. Because everybody has needs. Everybody in this room has needs, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Right? Is anybody awake? Okay. As you're, as you're moving into ministry, you need to ask for increased commitment and participation. If you go year after year and you're getting the same amount of money from a ministry partner, you're actually getting less. Because with inflation and everything else, the, the impact of their gift is going down. So you need to ask for increased commitment and participation. And if you're communicating with them, which we'll talk about in a minute, they will be happy to do that. But there are some barriers to our asking. First of all is the fear of rejection. We feel that you know, they're going to reject us if they say no. Bill Bright used to say, successful witnessing was sharing Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Well, I believe that ministry partnership development is sharing the opportunities in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. So if they say no, they're not saying no to me. They're saying no to the ministry opportunity. Or we feel intimidated. We should not feel intimidated because for the most part, we're going to be approaching other men and women who have a commitment to Christ. And the, the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit does not war against himself. Or thirdly, we don't know how to challenge them appropriately. And we could spend all morning just talking about the appropriate way to challenge people in ministry partnership development. (coughs) If people give primarily for emotional reasons, but they justify their giving with logic. And so there has to be some emotion in the appeal. Now, I'm not talking about emotionalism where you're playing on people's emotions, but rather there has to be something that moves them to make a decision to give. <coughs> Pardon me. You know, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked what he had to do to be saved, Jesus said, go and sell all that you have. And the scriptures tell us the rich young ruler went away. But it also describes the emotion that he went away with. Does anybody remember what that was? He went away sad. See, there was an emotional response to what was, and that's the way we're created. We're created as emotional beings. People like to give for future plans. The past that you have in ministry establishes credibility, but it does not cause people to give in the future. Uh, It doesn't motivate current gifts. So therefore, we need to plan and have a plan for what you believe or what you're trusting God to do in the future. And then communicate those. People like to give what they are expected to give. If there's no expectation, they really don't know how to respond. You know, if I were to say to Eric, Eric, I need a, I need a ride this afternoon. Would you give me a ride? Well, Eric may say, 
in his mind, yeah, I'll give you a ride, but where do you want to go? Well, I said, well, don't worry about it. Just will you give me a ride? Well, that's ridiculous. <clears throat> well, the same thing is here. If you say, would you support our ministry? Well, what, is, what does that mean? You know, as opposed to, would you consider making a gift of $100, $75, or $50 a month at this time? Now there's something that they can act on. Whatever you can do is a recipe for failure. If people say, if you don't, if you're not specific, if you don't put an expectation out there, people say, well, you know, is there an amount you'd like to do? You say, well, whatever you can do, you're going to spend a lot of time raising support because people won't know how to respond. Uh, A young man went through our training that we did this last May. Uh, He needed to raise support for a family of four here in the United States. I don't know specifically what what his amount was, but my my best guess is about $65,000 is what he needed to raise. Uh, By applying these principles, he was able to secure commitments and gifts for all of his support in about three and a half months. And I saw him on Monday, and he said, Andy, I've got to tell you this. He said, one of our ministry partners called me over the weekend, and he said, uh, she got an unexpected inheritance. And she called and said, you know, Gary, I'm so excited about what God's doing through you and your ministry. I'm going to tithe off of that inheritance, and I want the inheritance to go to your ministry account. And he said it was, it was sizable. So that's not going to happen if, if you're saying whatever you can do, uh, that will be a failure. <coughs> Pardon me. When people are asked to give less than they're able, they tend to be embarrassed. They may not tell you, but what they're saying is, well, gee, does he or she not think I'm capable of giving more than that? Very, very rarely will they say, well, you know, I can give a larger gift than that. If you ask for less, they'll agree to that and they'll make that gift. When they're asked to give more than they're able, they tend to be flattered. And people will stretch as long as it's within reason. Uh, We were counseling with a man one time who was going in to see a, a foundation. He was asked to make a presentation to the foundation board. We'd done our research. We told him, what the assets of the uh, foundation were, and what an appropriate ask would be. He went in, got so excited about what he was presenting, he asked for more money than the foundation had in assets, and they were not flattered. <coughs> now, the fourth key, and this, this will help you raise support faster than anything else that I know. If you, so if, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear me say this. You need to ask for referrals from the ministry partners that God brings into your partnership. I've had people say, well, you don't know. I I know a lot of people. I've made my list. I've got 500, 600 names, and I believe God's going to raise all my support. I don't need to ask for referrals. 9.9 times out of 10, they will end up calling me back saying, Andy, I'm, I'm out of context. What do I do? And I say, well, you know, have you asked, did you ask for referrals? Well, no. And then with all the compassion that I can muster, I say, well, have you picked up the phone book and called every name in the phone book? And they say, no. I say, well, then you're not out of contacts yet. The alternative to that is much better, and that is asking for referrals. And we, again, this, we spend a whole session and a half on, on this topic when we do our training. But 
Asking for referrals, let me just give you three keys when it comes to asking for referrals. First of all, you ask for referrals by suggesting categories. In other words, Mr. Smith, uh, as an attorney, are there two or three other attorneys in your firm or that you work with down at the courthouse who share our commitment to reaching people for Jesus Christ? Say, I suggested categories. Other attorneys at the firm, down at the courthouse. Or Dr. Smith, you know, are there two or three other physicians that you work with at the hospital that would share our mutual interest in reaching people for Christ? That's suggesting categories. Second is asking referrals using a directory. And that is where somebody says, well, I'm a member of the Rotary Club. Well, Mr. Smith, uh, would you happen to have the Rotary Club directory? Would you take that out and maybe skim through it and see if uh, there's anybody whose name is in there that you know uh, would share our mutual concern for reaching people that you could introduce me to? So that's using the directory. Uh, the, the third is asking referrals using a pre-compiled list. That is, you may know of people, or people may have said, have you talked to Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so? They don't know them, but they know of them. Or you may know of them, but you don't know them. So you put them on a list. In other words, you compile a list. And when you have that list of maybe five or ten names, when you're visiting with people who you do know, you ask them, would you happen to know anybody on this list? I was working with a group, um, and uh, they did this for a capital campaign. And they showed me a list of about ten names. As I went down the list, this name popped out at me. And I said, who is this with? And they told me. I said, well, I can't guarantee it, but my son's soccer coach, that's his name. And so the next night when we were at soccer practice, I said to Leonard, uh, Leonard, uh, somebody showed me a list yesterday, and he said, I, mean, I didn't finish the, he said, yes, 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 that's me. He said, I'll talk to you about it later. Okay. As a result uh, of my relationship with him, we were able to set up an appointment, and they got a $10,000 gift from the foundation. The fifth key is love. If you don't have a love for the people that God brings into your partnership, uh, it's going to be detrimental to you. It determines how quickly you raise support. And it also determines how well you maintain your support. If people feel like they're being used, they will find other places to give because people want to feel good about their giving, uh, not just looking for a tax deduction. The most fundamental step in expressing love is sending a thank you letter or note or email if that's their preferred way of communication. You need to be thanking people on a regular basis for their involvement. You need to avoid ingratitude. When you don't send a thank you letter or a thank you note, you don't communicate with people, you're expressing ingratitude to them. Now, let me give you some elements of a thank you letter. First of all, you need to acknowledge the amount of the gift. People want to know, especially if your gifts are going through a larger organization, they want to know you got the amount of the gift that they intended. So you need to say, thank you for your gift of 
whatever it is, for our ministry, for this outreach, or whatever. And you want to mention the purpose of the gift, what the gift was used for, because they want to know that you've applied it as they intended. Secondly, express appreciation for the gift. I appreciate your gift. I appreciate you. I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate what you're doing for the great Great Commission. And then thirdly, what is the achievement of the gift? What, what happened as a result of the gift that they made? What was the impact? Change lives? Whatever. And then the fourth thing in the thank you letter is reasons for your partner to give again. Now, I'm not talking about a travelogue, you know, next week I'm going here and then next month I'm going here. No, what are the ministry opportunities that you're going to be, be presented to you that they will have a part in fulfilling? Whether it's, you know, you're going to have a medical clinic in two weeks, you're going to have an outreach or, or whatever. Those are the reasons for them to give again. So you want to report on ministry results, especially when you see people in person. And, and this is the sixth key. You need to see people in person. There's only so much you can communicate via a letter or a phone call. So you need to plan regular systematic visits to see your ministry partnership team and see them in person. So you report on ministry results. You tell stories of changed lives. If you send out a, a prayer letter or a ministry update letter, you always want to tell a story of a changed life as a result of the ministry. It doesn't have to be something that you did as long as you contributed to it through your ministry. Okay? By the way, if you, if you don't send out regular prayer letters or, or updates, um, the, the average is about two or three a year. And those people have to generally replace their entire support team every four or five years. Whereas if you're sending out ten or more, you're going to be in about the 98th percentile, and you will be having the opportunity just to add support rather than to replace it. And then show an interest in them. When you're seeing people in person, ask questions. Find out what's going on in their life so you can pray for them. You can interact with them uh, better. We had an opportunity one time where this couple, uh, we didn't know a lot about their family. They were recently uh, referred to us by another physician. And uh, we found out that they had an older son. Uh, We thought they just had the younger children at home, but they had an older son who was in the service that lived nearby where we were. And so as a result of that, we reached out to to the son, and that ministered to the parents. And then pray for them. Not pray on them, pray for them. P-R-A-Y, not E-Y. So, in conclusion, be a friend raiser and not a fundraiser. Again, a fundraiser is someone who says, give me your money so I can go do my ministry. You know, we've all gotten those phone calls at dinner time. Hi, this is the, uh, the sheriff's department, 
and uh, we're raising money for the underprivileged kids and circuses coming to town. How many tickets would you like to buy? And then you don't hear from them again, and you never really found out whether they bought those tickets and the kids win or not. That's not being a friend raiser. That's being a fundraiser. And give of your best to the work of the master. If ministry partnership development is something that you do when you have time, that's not giving your best to the work of the master. You need to make it a part of your regular schedule. And it needs to be an important part of your schedule. I look at it in terms of tithing my time to the ministry partners. Just like tithes are supposed to be the first fruits, I believe that the ministry to our ministry partners need to be part of our first fruits as well. And then, according to the Apostle Paul, we need to realize that raising money is not something we do to someone, but it's something we do for someone. In other words, when we give them the opportunity to give, we are giving them the opportunity to be involved in the Great Commission. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 9, 8 to 14, you'll find these principles. First of all, it says, all grace will abound to you. That is, uh, the giver. Secondly, the giver will have all that they need. They will have an abundance for every good work. Your ability to give will increase. It will be the results of your righteousness will also increase, and you'll be made rich so you can be more generous. You're not going to be made rich so you can live a better lifestyle. You'll be made rich to be more generous. Thanksgivings will go to God from the asker. You'll fully supply the needs of the ministry, and thanksgivings will go to God from the recipients of the ministry. You'll prove your position in Christ. The recipients will glorify God. Recipients will pray for the givers, and the recipients will not long to know the givers personally. So, like I said when we began, it's kind of like eating an elephant in one bite. I know I went fast. Uh, but like I said, if you put your name and, and email address on that pad over there or put one of your stickers, I'll be happy to send this presentation to you. Uh, let me open it up for, for questions now. Yes? Good morning, Andy. My name is David Milton, and my wife and I are planning to be long-term missionaries in Peru for human trafficking prevention. Mm-hmm. We're leaving in February. Okay. And uh, my question to you this morning is about, you spoke about when making an ask, the amount that you ask for needs to be specific, but you talked about the range of embarrassment to flattery. Mm-hmm. How do you go about calculating that sweet spot between embarrassment? Okay, good question. The question is, when you're asking, how do you find that sweet spot between uh, embarrassment and flattery? There's, there's two things that I would, I would share. First of all, that's why I would use, always use a range of giving. Um, but secondly, uh, you also need to say, what do I think this person's capability is? If they are a referral, many times you can determine the level of their capacity based upon the giving of the person who referred you to them. Because we tend to spend time with people in our same social economic stratus. So therefore, if Mr. Smith is giving $200 a month and he refers me to Mr. Jones, 
I could be fairly confident that Mr. Jones has the capacity to give at the same level. And so I might use that as a mid-range and give a, a range of $250 a month, $200 a month, or $150 a month at this time. So two things. One is try to determine what an appropriate amount is, and then secondly, use a range. Does that help? Yes. Okay. You talked about meeting with people in person. Yes. Okay. Question is, uh, if you have supporters all over the country uh, and you travel to see them, uh, why would they not feel that you're maybe using the money to come see them that you could be using on the field? Is that okay? Well, I, I think at those ti- those kinds of situations, you have to say, what is the uh, appropriate way to handle that? Uh, if if you have a cluster of people then obviously that makes it more uh, reasonable to go and, and see them. Uh, we have that same situation, and there's one person up in the Northwest that I, I never get to the Northwest. So what we do is we do a Skype thing periodically, uh, and we'll just, you know, get on, on Skype and, and have that personal interaction, you know, where you can see each other and, and talk. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, yes, sir. Um, you spoke about the number one thing was about referrals and asking for suggestions and categories. Just to follow that up, they give you names. Is it a matter of how does it go from there? Do they just give you the name and you go out? Do they make a contact with that person, kind of open the gateway, or how does that transpire beyond? Okay. The question is about referrals. And that is, what do you do once they give you the name? It's important to share with them how they can be involved. Um, and I'm going to start with the least effective and move to the most effective. The least effective is, they say, here's this, this, this person, uh, here's their phone number, just give them a call and, and tell them that I told you to call. Uh, that works, but it's not the most effective way. Next way would be to have a sample letter that you could give to them and say, you know, if you would modify this letter, put it on your stationery, send it to the person, whether it's personal stationery or, or business stationery, and tell them I'll be following up with a call, then in a few days I can do that. The third way is, you know, if you were to go with me to see this person, then your credibility goes with me as well. And many times you can do that over a meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner where either they will invite the person to their home or you'll go to a restaurant or if it's a businessman, you may just have lunch as kind of a a business lunch. And then the the last way is they will go with you and they will share why they're involved in the ministry before you make the ask. Okay? How do you handle a situation where you have received some funds for a specific mission trip that you were planning to take, but something happens and it falls through mm-hmm. and you don't know? Okay. Uh, the question is, how do you handle it when you receive funds for a specific mission trip and you, you don't go? Uh, if you're going to be going at a later time, then you write to them. People are 
not unreasonable. If there was a legitimate reason why the mission trip got canceled, then you write to them and say, you know, we had to cancel the mission trip for this reason or postpone it, but I will be going again, say, in, in uh, March. <clears throat> May I move your gift to that trip? Or, you know, if you'd like, we, we can send the, the gift back. Now, again, the majority of the time people will say, no, that's fine. Just go ahead and move it to the, to the next trip. Or, uh, I wasn't able to go on this trip, but someone else is going to go in my place. Would it be okay if we applied the gift to, to their going? You know, maybe there was a family emergency or an illness that prevented you from going, but the trip was still going to occur, and someone else you know could use those funds on the same trip to accomplish the same purpose. Does that help? That's correct. Make them part. You know, what I have found is they trust you or they wouldn't have made the gift to begin with. And the, the, the best way to destroy that trust is to use the gift for something that they didn't intend it. But when you contact them, because they trust you, they'll also trust your judgment that if there's a better way to use that gift, uh, they'll generally agree to that. Yes? Yes. Okay. The question is, when I mentioned, you know, we don't know how to ask appropriately, there's a couple things about that. One is ask using a range of, of gifts, as, as we've talked about. If you picked up when I said how I made my ask, I always said something like $100 a month, $75 a month, $50 a month at this time. That's a key phrase, at this time. Because if you say, would you support my ministry for $50 a month, and they say no, that door is pretty well shut. You know, and, and many times that's when we feel the rejection because they've, they've rejected the gift to us, to our ministry. But when you say, would you consider, prayerfully consider, do you feel the Lord is leading you to make this gift at this time? And they say no. Now they're saying no to the timing of the gift, not making a value judgment. It, and that leaves the door open to go back at a later time and ask them for a gift. You know, Mr. Smith, I know last time you weren't able to uh, participate, but maybe your situation has changed. Here are some opportunities. And then you go into the ask, would you consider making a gift of at this time? So it's always about the timing of the gift, not a value judgment of whether the gift is worthy. Yes? I'm in college, and my parents are going through college. Mm-hmm. Um, in past fundraising efforts, they've asked me not to ask the family for money. Mm-hmm. How do I handle that? Well, that's probably one of the most... That's probably one of the trickiest situations was when it comes to family. Yes. The question was, uh, her parents have put her through college, and they've asked her not to ask family for support for trips or even in the future. I, I, I think number one is, um, first of all, honor what, they, what they've asked you to do. 
Secondly, um, try to educate them in terms of, uh, like this last thing that we talked about, you know, I don't know if your, your parents are Christians or not, but to say, you know, when we ask someone to become involved financially, we're not doing something to them, we're doing something for them. Now, let me also say, it's a very emotional area. Uh, I helped an individual one time raise support, and uh, this individual had asked uh, his father-in-law on a number of occasions to help, and the father-in-law always said no. Well, when the appeal went out and some of the family members got it, the father-in-law got very angry because he felt like the family was going to look at him and say, you know, you should be helping which, in fact, he should have, but that's another story. You know, so it's a very emotionally charged area. And, you know, I think especially parents, it doesn't matter whether you're in college or, like me, your, 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 your mother's 90 years old, there's certain things that you still need to pass by them to make sure that they have a comfort level and an understanding of why you're doing it and what the impact will be. Yes? Uh, <coughs> question is how much do, you, do does your do your supporters need to know about how much you're raising overall I don't think that that's an, a big issue because what they're <clears throat> what they're really interested in is what will my gift accomplish as I said I've been raising support since 1972 I've only had twice once where I was asked directly and once where I was asked indirectly how much do you raise a year now, I do know people that put that out there or allude to it and make it an issue, and then it becomes, well, why do you need that much? And the reason why I say that is most people, when, when they get a salary from a job, all they see is, this is my gross salary, this is how much you know, was taken out for taxes, this is my, my take-home pay. They don't realize what the expense to the employer is to have that person. Many times it's a commensurate amount with what the gross salary is. And so while we may raise money far and above our salary for other things, ministry, travel, and things like that, those are not things that they normally take into account when they're thinking about salary. But if you put that whole amount out there, they're thinking, oh, that's, he's going to have that much in salary. It's kind of the reason why, you know, if you've ever been in a church budget meeting, uh, as soon as you put the, the pastor's salary on the table, it's a flashpoint. Yes? Well, my question is sort of similar to that. If you were writing a support letter, would it be advantageous or not to state the total amount of the cost of the trip? Okay. Now, that's, that's a little different. The, the question is, if you're writing a support letter, would it not be advantageous to write the cost of, of a trip? as opposed to ongoing support. My first answer was with respect to ongoing support. If it's for a specific project, i.e. a trip, then yes, I would put the amount. This is, this is going to be the cost of the trip. And if they want to know how much that breaks down, you know, because some people may want to give you airline miles to go as opposed to making a gift. And they could, they could see that they were helping you in that regard. So, yeah, on a project... Uh, on a trip, yes, I would, I would share the amount and then how much you're asking them to prayerfully consider. Yeah, if you discourage uh, outreach or whatever, you, 
No, what I was referring to, the question is, if, if you give a range or whatever you feel led to give, that's different than whatever you can give. What I was referring to was uh, an individual uh, I was, was counseling with one time, and I had him go through his presentation. And so he went through a presentation, did a great job, and he said, so, uh, you know, do you, do you feel God's leading you to, to be a part of my support team? Didn't have an amount. And I said to him, I said, well... Um, yeah, I think so, but I'm not sure exactly, you know, how much I should give. His answer was, well, I have people who give from $5 to $5,000. Jump in wherever you can. Well, that didn't help me one bit, you know. And my response to him is, you know, this is not a swimming pool. You know, jump in wherever you feel you can survive. You know? So you have to be, be careful about that. Yes. Gifts in kind. Now the question is, you know, the amount. It's up to them to determine with their their CPA or whoever to determine the amount of the gift. But I, if you're part of an organization, they usually have policies and procedures of how they receipt those those gifts. In in our ministry, we send out a letter that says, "Thank you for your gift of." You know, and we don't put a, a, a dollar amount unless it's over $5,000, and then we have to get an appraisal, and they have to get an appraisal. Okay, the question is, uh, I have a group of people going on a project. Is it better for me to write the letter as the leader or have each individual person write the, the, the letter themselves? And I would say yes. Uh, you probably want to take the list of people that they want to contact. And <clears throat> if there are people that they think <clears throat> pardon me, would be influenced in a positive way by your sending the letter out and them following up, then I would do that. Normally, I would say it's always better for the person who has the relationship to write the letter and, and, and follow up. Because, as a principle, people give to people justified by the cause. And so, if I, if I know Eric and I trust Eric, I'm going to be more apt to make a gift when Eric asks me than when his supervisor asks me, because I don't know his supervisor. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> by the way... Um, we're at the end of the session. If you need to go, otherwise, uh, some people have said they wanted to stay around to about 9:30. So, uh, but if you want to get this presentation, fill out the, put the sticker over there, or give me your name and address, uh, email address, and I'll send it to you. Thank you. Yes. We do fundraising Mm-hmm. Uh, and I then I had a couple came up and the father said, well, I can't afford to do this. And I said, eat for free. And, you know, to me, 
if it's also an outreach to people. You know, if you're coming to my dinner and you're just supporting this position, that's okay too. My committee kind of disagrees with me. Well, we're losing money, so what? My, my thing, I've always found that I've gotten way more money than I've ever hoped in every dinner I've ever done. So sure. I've never lost money in the whole I just wondered what your feel was on that. Well, you know, I, I don't think it's wrong to put a suggested donation, but if you're going to have an appeal at the, the event, to ask them to make a, a, a suggested donation many times will put a lid on what they give. So it would be better to say, you know, give by, by donation and not put a, an, an amount on it. Have you uh, ever done online donations to that websites? Yes. That's, that's, that's becoming a very, I'm sorry, setting up uh, on online giving opportunities through your website and things like that. That is becoming an increasing way people want to give. That's the way they're paying their bills. And the more you can make it convenient for them, the better, more easier it is for them to give. So I would encourage you, especially at year-end. Year-end is an important time to have giving through the website. Because there are certain people, you know, like I have a friend who's an attorney. He says, I never know until the last week of the year what my salary is. So I don't know, you know, and he says, then I try to give a whole bunch, you know, before the end of the year. Well, if he can do that online, it makes it a whole lot easier than if he's got to go try to find an envelope and, a, you know, a designation slip and things like that. Yes? Uh, what if you have support for, like, a specific, specific thing, like a short-term mission trip or mm-hmm. supplies, but then let's say at the end of the fundraising event, like, Okay. The question is, what happens if you have a, a fundraising event and you exceed the amount that you need for the particular project or, or trip? You, you should always have a disclaimer on there that anything that is ex- in excess of this will be held for future trips or other projects similar to the one we're asking for tonight. Um, what if you're not? What if you're asking for more practical things, such as blankets? If you're planning a missions trip where you're taking blankets or clothes. Okay. Question is, what if you're asking for specific things like like blankets? Then that's where it's important. Uh, Remember I said the more specific you are, the more believable you are? Don't just say for every $5 we can buy a blanket. If it's it's really costing you $4.38, then say for every $4.38 we can buy one blanket. But then give them, you know, one blanket, $4.38. Three blankets, you know, and do the multiples. And so give them those opportunities so they see what their gift will accomplish. Be careful. <laughs> now, the question is, what's, what's the role of social networking? And I said that kind of glibly, but, but I am serious. It, it, can, it can be a two-edged sword. Yes, it can help you keep people up to date on what, is happening through your ministry and what God is doing. But you have to be careful what you post on there. You know, I recently had a guy, he lives in California. When you're a California resident, you can buy a a one-year pass to go to Disneyland. And so they take their family to Disneyland frequently. Well, he posted, started posting that, you know, went to Disneyland this weekend. Well, after about the fourth trip in the same year, people that didn't live in Disneyland but had been there before go, man, you know, where does he get all this money to, to go to Disneyland? And, you know, there was some backlash to that. So you have to be careful, you know, what you post on there. Um, 
if you go back to the Word of God, uh, Paul, his support came from churches. But we don't seem to be, because everything I'm reading is, don't go to churches, because churches won't give. Yeah, that is where our base is, and this is where we know, and that's what they're supposed to do, the Great Commission. But all seems to be doing is 2% goes to missions and everything stays inward. Mm-hmm. So we seem to have it backwards from what the Word of God is, and obviously we can't change that. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand why we're doing it this way instead of going to churches where the congregation is members of the believers, yeah. but churches aren't giving. Okay. Let me try to paraphrase the question. The question is, you know, should we go into individuals or to churches to raise support? And I would say a couple things. Number one, if churches looked at what their responsibilities were that Paul also laid out and would subscribe to those, then my, my counsel would be, yes, go to churches. That's number one. But most churches don't, unfortunately. Uh, in other words, they don't have the administrative capacity to implement what the Word of God says. Number two, and you know, we could get into a theological discussion here, but to me the church is the body of believers, not the organization. And so when I'm going to individuals, I'm going to the church as opposed to going to non-Christians. Not that I think going to non-Christians is wrong, because obviously there are many indications in the scriptures where money was raised from non-Christians, but that's not where I would concentrate my efforts because they don't have the same heart, they don't have the same spirit uh, as Christians do. Um, one comment to that <coughs> is that um, uh, my, my uh, experience is that if people in a certain body of believers connected with the church were tithing to the church, then the church would have more to give to them. That's right. But they're not. They're withholding part of their time to give to you to go on a mission trip. Well, and, and let me just say this. See, that's part of the responsibility because they're not doing a good job of informing what the, church, what the, what the gifts are accomplishing back to the church. And so that's why people tend to give more outside the church. Unfortunately, the average tithe to the church is 3%, you know. Uh, and, and 10% is, is the benchmark, you know, the starting place, so to speak. So, plus I would say, you know, I, I know a couple businessmen who have told me, if I gave everything that I give through my local church, I would destroy the church. You know, because they give such an amount, they would, everybody in the church would say, well, what do you need us for, you know? Yes? I guess my question is more about, about the non Mm-hmm. They are very sympathetic to going overseas and donating to the medical stamp, and, they're, and they're willing to overlook the fact that you're evangelizing too. Uh-huh. How, how do you how do you include that? I mean, if they if there's people that want to, I mean, I'm not going to compromise what I'm going to do because right because they're they're not Christians. But I mean, do you do you talk to them at all for support? Or, I mean, my main focus is being Christian. Yeah. The question is, you know, if if you're doing medical missions and you're going to physicians who may not be believers, they may want to give just out of the humanitarian aspect. And, and that's, remember I talked about, perp, they want to accomplish a particular purpose. That's why they want to give. 
I get, and you've already hit on it, you wouldn't hide the fact that you're going to be sharing the gospel. And if that's a problem, you'd rather not take the gift because God's going to provide for you. Uh, if that person doesn't feel led, then, you know, don't do it. I'd rather they not make the gift than to have remorse about it later. Does that help? Let me go back over here. Um, yeah, there, there's a book called The Ministry of Development by John Frank. Um, it doesn't specifically deal with support raising, but uh, the principles are, are, are there. Uh, we do a conference at, twice a year in the spring and the fall uh, where we take four days and go through this entire process uh, and, and model. Um, you can... Email me or send a request to uh, to the address there. Would you recommend Scott Morton's? Scott Morton's book is good. Yeah. I, fig- I forget what the name of it is right offhand. It's funding your ministry. Yes. We're just getting started. How would you recommend that you start going to people you know, friends? Okay. I'm going to give this to you real briefly. Make a list of everybody you can think of without determining will they give, won't they give. Just make a list. We call it name storming. But you're basically brainstorming names. Then once you get that list, then prayerfully consider, are they likely to give, most likely to give, or least likely to give? And divide them up into those three categories. Most likely, likely, least likely. And then within that category... Each category, do the same thing. And then start with the most likely, most likely, because those are going to be your most motivated people. They're the ones who are going to be motivated to give you referrals, and, you know, you're going to see success faster, which is going to motivate you. But there's also some other things with regards to when you make that, you also have to consider what is their age, you know, what are the ages of children, you know, like... My kids are all out of college, but I have an associate who's just a few years younger than I am. He still has one to go to college. So even though he has a real giving heart, his capacity is less because he has less discretionary income than, than I do. Um, just getting started, and you're trying to find this, um, this range that you talked about or this challenge that you talked about. Um, could it work that you would say, okay, I need to raise like $3,000 and I know 30 people. Should I ask them all for 100 Okay. question is, do you want to follow the myth of the multiples? <laughs> and that is take the full amount. I know X number of people. I'm going to divide it and ask everybody the same. The reason why we call it the myth of the multiples is because not everybody's giving capacity is the same. And when you ask everybody for the same thing, you're going to be under-challenging some, you're going to be over-challenging others, and others you're going to be hitting just the right amount. The ones that you under-challenge will give you the lower amount. They won't say, wait a minute, I can do double that. They'll say, okay, she wants $100, I'll give $100. So you leave, you leave, let's say, $100 on the table. And the people that can't 
say, well, gee, she wants $100. I can only give 75 so I guess I can't give. So, you know, that's why you, you, you typically use a range. And the average range that I use now is $150 a month, $100, or $50 a month at this time. And that gives them range. If they say, well, gee, I don't think we can do that, or that amount's too, too large, then you ask, is it an amount that you would feel comfortable in giving? That's a new one. I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> yes. Have you seen anything that's successful for fundraising for short-term mission trips other than asking for money? It's worth the time and effort. Well, in the right situation with, with the right group of people, um, small dinner parties can be very effective where People who understand your ministry, are committed to it, will invite their friends over and say something like, you know, maybe they invite ten couples over. <coughs> and they say, you know, tonight we need, this, this trip is going to cost $7,000. This is the only time I would use the myth of the multiples. is where you have the personal relationship and say, my wife and I are going to give the first thousand. We want each of you to give a thousand. And there's six other couples there. So, in other words, everybody has to give at that level to accomplish the goal. That's one very effective way. But you have to find the right people who are comfortable doing that. Not everybody's going to feel comfortable doing that. Yes? No, I said I asked for 150, 150. <laughs> Oh, it, it, no, that's, this is important. If you start with the lower amount and go up, people psychologically, as soon as they see an amount they can do, they say they, they stop there. So you always want to start with the larger amount and work to the smaller amount. And yes, if, if you don't know a specific amount to ask for, then you ask for the range, tell them you're going to call them, and when you call them, Again, you, you ask for the range that you put in the letter. And, and you should never send a support letter without the promise to follow up with a phone call. Don't send a letter with a response device in an envelope. Because somewhere the dog ate the letter. That's why you didn't get a response. Yes? As a follow-up to the previous question about raising support from uh, non-believers, do you feel there's any biblical basis for or against Yes, there, there is. You know, I mean, you, you look at uh, when they when they built the the temple, they had gifts from from non Christians uh, for that. Plus, you know, when when you when you look at what Paul told Timothy, he told to instruct the rich in two things: to do good deeds and to give. He didn't differentiate between believers and non believers. He just said, instruct the rich. So, I mean, you know, I could give you a lot more, but those right offhand are the, the two that come to my mind. Yeah. So that's a good point. You know, let me, let me say two things. Number one, 
I have a belief that God owns it all, whether it's in the hands of the believer or the non-believer. So what we're trying to do is get God's resources back to accomplish his purpose. That's number one. Number two, the scriptures tell us that where a man's treasure is, there his heart is also. Now, we often misquote that. We say where a man's heart is, there his treasure will be. That's not what the Bible says in Matthew. So many times, getting a gift from a non-Christian is the first step to leading them to Christ. I'm happy to stay here as long as... I don't know when we have to be out of this room, but um, I'll keep answering questions until we get... The fall one did, yes. Yeah. The next one we have will be in May in, in Tulsa. Yes, yes. I, when I send a letter asking for support, uh, there's always included a promise for me to call them and follow up that letter to answer any questions they may have and to see how God is leading them. So how specific are you in that first letter? How specific are you in terms of what you're asking? Very specific. In other words, there will you're be... Asking, you know, the 150, 150 with no response card. That's right. That's correct. That's correct. Okay? Thanks. In terms of if you're sending one to ask someone, <coughs> if you'll if you'll give me your your contact information, I'll will send you a, a sample, and just just write on there, you know, sample support letter or something like that. Okay. Yes. It's a, matter, it's a matter of planning. If, if, you, if you start early enough, all this is, is realistic. The key is, if you do a lot of short-term trips, make sure when you get back you send a report about the trip. That will be the first step in asking for the next trip. But, you know, again, it's a matter of what's worth it. You know, I can only tell you, if you, if you put response devices and just send the letter... You'll probably get 25% of what you would normally get is if you than if you made the asking letter and followed everyone up with a phone call. I just know I hate it when people like I would just assume somebody sent me a letter and then we fill it out and put it back and you know I hate it when people tell me. But the question is, did they did they call you? Did they write to you first yeah. before they called you? You know, not everybody feels the way you do. Some do. Some do. I'm, I'm not diminishing. The, I mean, you, your, your, your feelings are very valid for, for you. 
I would say that's the minority of people. Uh, they would rather be called and, and where they could respond. I'm more in a situation where I'm not raising the myself for the missionary trips, mm-hmm. but I'm the one that's bringing the, the short-term missionary trips to place. And, and a lot of it, I would have to say it's a vision trip for them not to find a location. I mean, we we pretty much have determined those. Uh-huh. But it's for these people to move into this next phase of their life, really. Some are going through a divorce. It tends that I have a lot of these people going through life changes, uh-huh. uh, jobs, lost parents, whatever. But they're not. The interesting is when they, I ask them, like, okay, this is what you do. You write letters, you know, you find your list, and exactly what you said. They're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not ready to do it. And I always get this wall from them, and then they'll tend to, I think I'll just use my own money. I'm like, well, that's fine too. You yep. certainly can, but I don't know. Some of them obviously don't have them either. So, and so how, how do you get past them, and what do I teach them or tell them? How do you yeah, one thing that, one thing that I, would, I would teach them and tell them is that, you know, people do get a blessing from giving. Yeah, I heard that. And if you, if you use your own money, when you have the opportunity to give other people the invo- involvement, you're robbing them of the blessing. That's number one. Number two, what about prayer support? You know, if people are giving, they're going to be praying for you. And so if all you do is um, <clears throat> use your own money, you really have a, a prayer base uh, behind you. 